passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, our special guest speaker. And, and graduates, you know, as we sing that song to bless you, um, do not forget to bless your parents today. You know, they, they have raised you up, poured into you, love you. And uh, this is a day of celebration of you. And in some ways, it's, it's, a, it's a hard day for them. So make sure you, you communicate to them how much you love them and appreciate them, if you would. Um, this morning, we're going to be in a psalm, one of the Old Testament psalms that's right in the middle of the Bible. Um, so we're going to be in Psalm 67. And the title of the psalm, or the title of the message, I should say, is the motivation for missions. The motivation for missions. When we get done today, my hope is if somebody came up to you and said, why does your church do missions? Or why do Christians do missions? Or why do you care about global missions? My hope is that you would have a strong biblical answer after this morning, if you don't already. Um, with that said, I will start out by saying this psalm we're going to read was like Israel's best moment, okay? If you look at the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, they were really called to do two things. It's kind of like, you know, you had one job to do. They had two things, like glorify God and point others to God. And they did not always do very good at that. Roland and I, we taught through the Bible this year, and the Old Testament, it's almost like frustrating, isn't it? It's like, man, Israel. But this psalm was like the day Israel got it right, I'll share a quick story from my life. Um, I, as a husband, often don't get it right. I'm going to share about a day when I did, okay? So I'm going I'm I'm to start off on a good note here. This is about 10 years ago, eight, nine, 10 years ago. Um, Bridget and I right now, you know, those of you that know us, we have a 12, a 13, a 15, and a 16-year-old, okay? We're better staffed than Triggs Resort on some days. I mean, we got a crew to take care of the house and the yard. And so here's the deal. You go back 10 years, and that was not us. We were at that stage where we had the little kids. Baths, some, maybe even diapers. Uh, you know, we, we had a lot to do, that really busy stage of parenting. And Bridget and I kind of divided up home jobs, and I was, it was my season to do the dishes, and Bridget had the laundry. And for whatever reason, I think we had just had a really tough, busy uh, couple weeks, and the laundry, like almost all of it was dirty. Like all the hampers were full. And uh, I came home one day, and it was full, and, and I just remember thinking, man, Bridget's never going to get caught up on this. And Bridget is the type that has to work first, play second. And I'm like, she's going to be stressed about this. So I decided to do something about it. Now, I didn't do the laundry, okay? I didn't do that. I'm not, it wasn't that good of a day. <laughs> but what I did do was I gathered all the laundry, and I took it to the laundromat in town. And they have a service where you can pay to have your laundry done. Now, I didn't know how expensive it was because it was expensive. But, but I took, like, all these loads of laundry to have them do it. And then I wanted to write Bridget a note just to thank her for just how good of a wife and mother she was. And she was just working so hard. And I'm a corny guy. Those of you that know me, I am corny. So I wrote the note like it was written by the laundry fairy. Okay, like the tooth fairy, but the laundry fairy. And I just said, hey, this is the laundry fairy You've been on my radar. You've been doing such a good job of taking care of your family, working so hard, and I just decided to take the laundry today. So I'm being a total corn dog, writing this note, but just told her in the end, you know, I do love you and appreciate all you do. And then I decided, lastly, you know, I'm going to, instead of her having to do laundry, I'm going to give her something else to do. I'm going to get a gift certificate for her, and she can get a, a, well, I don't know what it was. It's like a pedicure or a manicure, Doug. Do you know the difference? Me neither, okay? Um... 
if any guys know the difference, come tell me later, okay? I don't know. I got something that ended with cure for my wife, and I said, you're just go do this. I'll take care of the laundry. And then I, I thought, you know, I'm going to call one of her friends, because Bridget is a connector. She values quality time. And I called one of her friends. I said, hey, if, if Bridget got a, a, a pedicure, a manicure today, would you have time to go with her? I'll cover it. I just want her to have some hangout time with a friend. And her friend said, oh, absolutely. I'd love that. So I, in my mind, was trying to do two things. Uh, and if you've heard of the love languages, the five love languages, one of Bridget's love languages is um, service, acts of service. And so I thought, man, this is a great chance for me to serve Bridget by taking the laundry off of her plate. And my love language is words of encouragement. So I thought when writing this note, I'm going to show her love my way and encourage her. What I didn't realize was I accidentally hit all five of the love languages because I also gave her a gift. That gift included touch. I didn't know this. Apparently they give you a foot rub when you get your nails done. Doug, we'll have to do that sometime, okay? And so, so, so she gets the touch love language. And on top of that, she gets quality time with a friend. And Bridget almost started crying. And I just thought, whoa, I don't think I've ever done this well before. And she just says, man, Chris, I just feel so loved. And I was like, great. You will never see the bill to the laundromat, okay? So <laughs> that's still, I don't think she knows what that costs. My point is this, that was my home run grand slam day as a husband. And what we're looking at today is Israel's best time as far as the motivation. This was them at their best. Hopefully you're in Psalm 67. Um, I'm going to go through the who, what, when, where, why, and how before we read it. Psalm 67, who? It had a Jewish writer, an Israeli Israelite writer. It was not David. David wrote about half the Psalms. He did not write one of these. This was a poet, a musician that wrote it. It's a praise song. The what? It's a praise song, but it's also a request of God. It's a prayer request to God. When was it written? Right around 1000 BC. David was the king at this point, right around 1000 BC. Um, where was it written? Well, it was written in Israel, but it has a zoom out factor where it's for the entire world. Why was it written? Please hang on to this. It was written for the global glory of God. And that's going to come up later in the message. God's global glory and how is really important. This builds on two Old Testament blessings. Two Old Testament blessings. One was to Israel and the other was supposed to be a blessing through Israel to all the world. I'm going to share those two blessings with you. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put it on the screen. Keep your finger in Psalm 67 if you would. But the first of these blessings is number six. Number six, chronologically, sorry, it wasn't the first, but the first one we're covering. And this was a blessing that God spoke and he told Moses, Moses, I want you to teach this to Aaron and his sons. Now they were the priests. Aaron was Moses' brother, but they were the priests. And he goes, I want you to teach this to the priests. And this is how I want them to bless Israel. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how they're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's literally what we were just singing to the graduates. That's the priestly prayer for Israel. The second blessing was from Genesis 12. Before we read it, I got to tell you about something I was taught, but I was yell taught it, okay? Children, you ever been yell taught something? <laughs> Loud volume, it's coming. This was in a missions class. And my professor, Dr. Park, Mrs. Park, 
was teaching us, and we were going over the Great Commission in Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew, and she, gets, she got fired up, and she goes, Class, I do not ever want to hear you say God's plan for mission started in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. It's not like Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died, rose again, and right before he ascended into heaven was like, Oh, I almost forgot. You should tell everybody what we've been talking about these last few. That's not how it went. And Dr. Park, in passion, said, I want to never hear you say that. The Great Commission is great, but it didn't start there. It started back in Genesis. In the very beginning, God comes to a man. His name was Abram. He later changed his name to Abraham, Father Abraham. And God tells Abraham this. And this is the, the first time God reveals back in Genesis it's for everyone. Let me read this blessing to you. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From the very beginning, Israel was selected not to be the only one to receive God's blessing, but to be the ones to show it to everyone and tell them about God. And unfortunately, Israel did not excel at that. With that said, those are the two uh, blessings that this Psalm 67 is built upon. I'll put the psalm up here. You've got it in your Bible there, and I'm going to read us through it. Like usual, I'll hit this every once in a while. And we'll unpack it. So I won't read straight through it. We'll hit the brakes and, uh, and explain things as we go, okay? Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now I'm going to put up here on the next slide one rule that we have when you're reading the Bible. And it's this. If you see repeated words, in fact, if you're doing a Bible study, it's a good thing to circle. If you see words repeated, that's an indicator that's a big deal or that's what God's getting after. And when you read through verse 1... It's kind of a us, 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 we, 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 me, me, me. Are you with me? And if you read just verse one, you'd say, wow, Israel's kind of all about Israel right now, okay? I, I'm kind of curious, and, uh, and I won't judge you if you don't judge me, but are there any country music fans in the house? Anybody likes country music? Okay, some of you, somebody might raise their hand, they might have done this. I couldn't tell, okay? But there is a guy, I'll put his picture up here, named Toby Keith. And several years ago, he wrote a song called, I want to talk about me. And the song, some of you have heard it, talks about how he's a good listener to his friend. This, this girl just has all these problems, and he listens, listens, listens. But then you get to the chorus, and he says this. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 you usually, but occasionally, I want to talk about me. Have you heard that song? And then when you read verse 1, it kind of feels like that's what Israel's doing here, because it's us, 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 us. Can I just tell you, that's not at all what they're doing. So we're going to finish the six verses, and look at where they go with this, because they turn from us into a beautiful direction. I'm going to start at verse 1, but now I'll go all the way through. Psalm 67, 1. May God be gracious to us, and bless us, and make his face shine upon us. Verse 2 says, so that. This is the why. So that your ways may be known on earth. Your salvation among all 
nations. May the peoples, global, praise you. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide all the nations of the earth. Again, may the peoples praise you. May God, uh, may God, may all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, you bless us. May God bless us still so that all of the earth will fill him. Did you see how they pivoted from what looked like, hey, rain it down on us. I mean, it kind of sounded health and wealth for a second there, but then they turn and, and the why is so the nations would know about God. And it's beautiful. There is one more level here. If we're peeling layers back, on the outside it looks like it's about them. The second layer, it shows, no, we actually care about the world. But there's one more level, one more layer, which is critical. I want you to see this. If you go to verse 4, and I, we'll start in 3 actually. I've got it in blue up here. Do you notice they don't just want the people and the nations and the world to be healthy, to have food, to be happy. They want them to praise God. Praise you, praise you. Be glad and sing for you. Praise you, praise you. So verse 1 kind of looks like it's an us request. Verse 2 through the end, you see, okay, this is actually for the people, but it's not just for the people. It's for God to receive the glory he's due. One other thing I want to show you this morning from this song is not just that we look at repeated words, but there's a structure here. I'm going to put this up here for you. And, uh, um, well, yeah, we can go to that next slide. That's perfect. So here's the deal. This is what's called a chiasm, okay? In, in, in Greek and Hebrew, we can unpack that and we can learn that. In Hebrew, they would have a structure where it went A, B, C, B, A. And what happens in a chiasm is they, uh, they basically do a language device where the sequence goes um, uh, in normal order and they make the main point and then it goes in reverse order like a mirror image, okay? And when you're reading one of these, if you ever notice one of these, and a lot of the Psalms are, Proverbs are, sometimes parables are set up like this. The middle part almost makes an arrow, and that's pointing to the key of the whole verse. So let me go ahead and show you what that is here. Verse four says, may the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth, okay? That equity word, that's saying God is perfectly fair. He's good. So if I could summarize this, it would be this big yellow box right here. Go ahead and put that up there. Let the nations be glad because you are great. I mean, that's, you could summarize that, that psalm with that right there. Let the nations be glad. Let them praise you because of your greatness, God. Now, something I want to put up here is one of my very favorite missions quotes, okay? So I'm going to put it up here. Please don't read the whole paragraph. I'll, I'll read that for you in a minute. But let's put this up here. Do you see where it says missions? exists because worship doesn't. When I read that for the first time, I just stopped and thought about it for like 10 or 15 minutes. Because if you could look at my heart, a big part of my heart is I do evangelism. I tell people about Jesus. I care about missions, the whole world knowing about Jesus, because I care about people. I want them to know about God. I want them to know about the, 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 the purpose of life. I want them to go to heaven, not hell. So, so people are a major reason I do evangelism and outreach and missions. It's because I care about people. And then I read this, this line, this quote. And please hear me really quickly. If your love for people 
that guides you to do missions, evangelism, outreach is a 10, do not lower it to a 9.5 or an 8. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there is a whole other reason to do outreach. And that is God's glory. What this quote says, missions exist because work doesn't, is there are parts of the world where God is not receiving the glory he is due. And that too is a motivation to go there and tell people so that God would receive his glory, his praise, his honor. I'm gonna read this to you. Maybe this, in fact, I hope this does to you what it did to me. It kind of wrecked me because I still had the love for people. That didn't change at all. And I loved God, but it just gave me a new paradigm to see missions through. Let me read this to you. This is a pastor, John Piper, from up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And listen to this. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. There are no missions in heaven. There's no evangelism. There's no need. But worship abides forever. By the way, just, just to kind of tell you, some of you that know that I'm, I'm leaving in, in uh, July 9th will be our last Sunday here. Um, I'm going to Michigan to be an outreach pastor. And literally my job splits up 50% into local outreach and evangelism and 50% overseeing missions. So, so, so when you read this, this sentence here, this paragraph, here's for Jeremy Liu, he has got eternal job security as a worship leader. What does this mean for me? Right? When I, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to have to be finding something else to do because there is no more missions. And we praise God for that. We praise God for that. Now let me keep going here. Pastor John goes on to say, worship therefore, therefore is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. And then he quotes from Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. This, on the surface, is a missions psalm. It is. But as you dig deeper, it's actually a God's glory psalm. And I love what John Piper says, that that should just drive us into missions. Now, what I want to do with the remainder of our time is talk about three takeaways that jump right out of the text. Three takeaways from this. Um, and if you've got your bulletin and you like to fill in the gaps, you can fill these in. The first one is this. God is just, but he's also not. God is just. He is fair, but he's also not. And I want to explain that because I teach this on a regular basis to our students. One of God's main attributes is that he is a just God. He is a fair God, okay? But something out of my life, a couple weeks ago, we're driving home, and one of my, stu one of my students, also one of my children, one of my sons, one of my, one of my kids um, says, Dad, what's the opposite of favorite? What's the opposite of favorite? And I'm like, least favorite? <laughs> you, know? you know, I don't have a huge vocabulary, and that's what I would use. And he goes, is there any word that doesn't use favorite in the word? And I go, well, like, abhor was the one word that came to mind. I go, let me, you know, why don't we check on Google, and we'll see what it says. And, and Google had a few words. There's abhor. You, you might loathe something. You might despise or detest something. But there are several words which are the opposite of favorite. 
Can I tell you real quickly here? God is just. He is just. And, and sometimes we go to the opposite of that being injustice, and we think, well, God is just. He's not unjust. And I would agree with that. He is not an unjust God. But do you know what other words that are opposite of just are? Grace. Mercy. When we want grace or mercy for somebody, we literally are asking for them not to get justice. So I praise God that he is just. A few years ago, our country went through some hard times where, where uh, with police forces, some things were uncovered. Now, I will tell you in my experience, both Spirit Lake, Esterville, Iowa City, I've always had great experiences with police departments, okay? Like, like I've always been pro-police. I've been thankful for the police. But it was exposed that some areas of our country were doing things wrong. They were not being fair to certain people groups. And that's not okay at all. So I'll, I'll use police as an example for the illustration this morning. If I went through and passed out a sheet of paper and said, would you prefer for your police officers to be fair and just? I think everybody in here would check yes, absolutely. But then after church, if you're driving home to have your Mother's Day meal, you want to get there a little fast. Okay, if, if, you, if you're speeding down Hill Avenue to get home to eat, and you get pulled over, I can almost guarantee you, as the car is behind you with the lights on, and that police officer is walking up to your door, you are not praying for justice at that point, are you, Dan Foote? No! Let your mercies fall from heaven. Oh, grace be abounding. Like, no! So we know what it's like to desire and want justice from the authorities in our lives and over us. But we also understand the desire for personal grace and mercy. And I just want to point this out to you from this psalm. In Psalm 4, I'm sorry, in Psalm 67, verse 4, they praise God for his equity, for his fairness, his justice. But at the same time, in verse 1, they're asking for that not to be the case. God, don't give us, don't give them what they deserve. Be gracious. Do you see that? So the first point is, God is just but he's also not. And, and we should thank God for both of those things, that he's just, but he's gracious. Point two, takeaway two. God's global glory should be our desire. Listen, if you're on the missions team, if you give the missions, if you support missionaries, because you care about people, that is beautiful and fantastic. That is good. I would just say there's a one, two. There's, there's a, a, B. And we got to also care about God's glory. And the odds are some of us in this room might have never thought about that, but that's really big. In fact, here's the deal. God's glory is the best thing we have to offer those people we love and care about. Okay, I want to make sure you understand this because some of my students start thinking, well, the reason we don't want people to go to hell is because it's bad. So we want them to go to heaven for two reasons. One, it's not hell. Two, grandma's there. Right? We want to go to heaven for who's there, the people we love, and we want to go to heaven because it's not hell. And I always try to pump the brakes and say, here's the deal. What really makes heaven great is God. It's God. Now, now your loved ones that know Jesus and are there is icing on the cake. I, I am with you. But it's God. Um, and I love this psalm for that reason. It just totally focuses on the motivation of missions being God's glory. Um, I'm going to tell you two things. This last week, I went to a uh, one of the, the, the choir performances for junior high. And um, Caleb Bradham, I don't know if Caleb's here, second service or first service, Caleb Bradham gets up there and belts out a solo. By the way, a lot of you were in that and you did a great job. 
did a great job. Caleb belts out a solo and just nailed it. So proud of him. And then Azariah Ushery gets up there and belts out a solo. And I'm so proud of her. She nails it. And my son Carson was up there. He did not have a solo, but he did something very impressive as well. He did the whole concert with gum in his mouth. That's, that's not easy to do. If you look closely, it looked like he was just saying watermelon over and over and over. But he was probably singing the song. But can, can I just tell you, um, as, as a youth pastor and a friend to Azariah and Caleb, I was really proud of them. They did a great job. Um, and, and for my son to be chewing gum, I didn't get bent out of shape over it. It's, you know, I, I want him to give it his best, but he didn't get in trouble for that. Can I tell you a similar thing, though, that really is, like, I'm not even joking right now. It's a big deal to me. When we do worship on Wednesday nights up in the commons, I will often remind the students, in fact, you can ask our students about this. They've heard it a bunch. Before we do worship, often I will say, we have just a couple expectations we want to throw out there. And, and one of those is, please do not steal from your neighbor. And what I mean by that is, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, please listen to the words, think about the words, but don't distract your neighbor because they, they, they want to worship God right now. It's a big deal to them. And God deserves it. Secondly, maybe you're here and you are a Christian, but you're kind of tempted to talk to your friend. Please don't do that. Because this is a time where, and we, should, we can worship in many ways, not just through praise music. I want to make that clear. But at this point, we're setting aside time to specifically praise and sing to God. Let's not interrupt each other or distract each other from that. It's actually one of the, my greatest pet peeves in life is when I'm trying to worship and I want God to receive worship and, and others are are just distracting. So um, I hope that makes sense, but God's global glory should be like really important to us and on our heart. The third takeaway is this. Our enjoyment of God should be white hot. I love that John Pastor in that uh, section that he wrote talks about wanting the nations to have this white hot passion or praise of God. And that's Piper in a nutshell. I mean, he just drips passion. But can I just tell you, white, hot passion. So the last point for me is this. Our enjoyment should be white, hot. Is your enjoyment, is my enjoyment white, hot? Is church something we kind of do because we're supposed to or we've always done? Is prayer something we do because, well, we should? Or, or do you just love, love talking to God? Um, I had a really hard conversation in my first year of student ministry where I was the pastor and one of my leaders um, came from a solid family, all signs of spiritual health. And then just as the, the school year went on, I noticed Emily was her name back in Iowa City, was really struggling in her relationship or walk with God. So I, I, I was meeting with her one day. I said, Emily, how are you doing? And she goes, uh, and I appreciated her honesty and transparency. But she just said, Chris, I just feel like Jesus hasn't done anything for me lately. And I, I'm gonna, I want you to see this through my eyes and my ears. I was not at all judgmental of Emily, but I was very sad because my first thought was, man, I hope I never, I hope I never feel that way or say something like that. Um, and, and, and as Emily and I spoke, I tried to gently explain to her two truths. One, Emily, if Jesus never did anything more than die on the cross, raised from the dead to give you eternal life, that's enough. That's so much more than enough. Jeremy often prays that. He prayed that this morning. I don't know if you caught that. He said, if you never answered another prayer, you're still worth all this worship. 
that's true. So I gently, graciously tried to walk Emily through. Emily, here's the deal. You might be getting some no's in your prayer life right now. And by the way, God knows what he's doing when he gives us no's. But Emily, don't ever forget what he did for you on the cross. Don't ever forget uh, the salvation you have. That's enough. Secondly, Emily, and, and we should all keep this in mind too. The fact that Emily was able to be there that day and eat and speak is by God's grace. That we have today, that we are healthy, that we, that's God's grace. I'm breathing and speaking now. And so, again, I love Emily. I care about Emily, but I just had to try to help Emily understand. Emily, I get that, that, that you don't see what he's up to right now or things aren't all going the way you're asking, but, but zoom out on how God is great. Zoom out on how good God is. Um, the, the, the very, very final thing I want to challenge you with is a term. And I heard this term about 10 years ago, and I want to teach it to you, and then I want to challenge you with it. The term is called Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism. And hedonism is not a word I use all the time, but it's a word that means the pursuit of pleasure, almost the indulgence of things. And oftentimes, the way the world thinks after this, it might be relationships, it might be um, sports, it might be power, money, it might be food. Sometimes food we indulge in. I indulge in. Um, That's one of my kids. Um, Guys, hedonism is just like almost like passionately pursuing pleasure. The term Christian hedonism, you got to get this, doesn't mean a Christian who is chasing after the things of the world for happiness, trying to substitute worldly things for happiness. A Christian hedonist is a Christian who loves God and just can't get enough of him. God is their joy. God is their portion, their excitement. That's what they can't get enough of. They want to pray. They want to be in the word. They want to be closer. They want to worship. They want to serve. Christian hedonism is a great thing because it's a Christian who's finding his pleasure, her pleasure in God. So can I close the message by challenging each of us? If you're kind of at a chart one to 10, if you're at a two, I want to challenge you to pray to be white hot. If you're at a pretty healthy 8.5, I want to challenge you to be white hot. If you're at a 9.9, I want to challenge you to be white hot. Let's pray for that. What I've asked to wrap this up is for Jeremy to come up. And we're going to close with a song about God's greatness. So I kind of want to ask you what I ask my students, which is this. First of all, I don't expect you to steal from each other. I know you're going to be paying attention. But what if right now, we could just kind of like set aside what happens in 10 minutes. Lunch or dinner plans. The graduation party you have to go to. Can I ask you for the next five minutes as we do this to just set aside everything but white, hot worship of God. This song is just basically confessing to God how good he is and saying, naturally, I will sing to you. There's a chorus which talks about the nations worshiping God, the nations. And I just challenge you to really plug into that as we did in this psalm and see how God's greatness leads to global glorification. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.